Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, where we'll begin in verse 7 and read through uh, chapter 4, verse 13. And so, um, last week we started into a series on Advent in the book of Hebrews, and Jared did a phenomenal job of showing us how Hebrews starts out by showing us that Jesus is a better word, a better revelation from God, that God sent um, his word to his prophets in many ways and and, uh, to many different people. But at last he sent his son, who's a better word, a better revelation of who he is and what he's about. So we come now to uh, chapter three. And to borrow uh, my wife's wonderful words, uh, this is a very fancy passage. Um, it's a very complex passage. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm, I will guarantee you I'm not going to do justice to this passage. It's like we're going to New York City and I'm going to be able to take you on a hop-on, hop-off tour of it. And so I want to apologize even now for uh, not doing justice to this passage. But it is a passage that you and I need to hear. As a matter of fact, There's some sense in which I wonder if Quinn assigned it to me because I need to hear it so much. Um, But I know that you need to hear it too. Uh, This is a passage for people who are weary. uh, And maybe some of you are weary. Maybe you're tired. Uh, Life's got you beaten down. But for me, that's not me. I'm high energy. Anybody who knows me knows I'm never weary. Hardly ever. I was weary this week. I had flu. But I'm restless, which is also a problem. And that's many of your problems too. And so God speaks this passage to us to who are weary and restless. And in many ways, it's an echo of what we just heard in Psalm 95. And that's part of what makes it fancy or complex. But let's read this. God's word, speaking of a better rest. Jesus is the faithful one. He's the faithful steward of the house. Therefore, uh, Hebrews 3, 7, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, that is God's voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation said they always go astray in their hearts they never, they have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm unto the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom he was, was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who had sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, 
Let us fear lest any of you should seem to fail to reach it. For good news came to us just as it came to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not were united by faith with those who listened. For we are, who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in the, this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter the rest, and those who formerly received the good news fell to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards, in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is the word of our God. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we really do come to you and ask for your spirit to give us um, understanding to this passage. It is complicated. Um, we need to see ourselves and we need to see you and your son, Jesus. And to that end, we need your spirit. So God, will you make clear to us this passage? Will you make it real to us? And even more than that, will you engage our hearts to live in light of it, to not become like those that you were warning us about who heard and, and unbelievingly disobeyed, but those who hear with joy and rest and live in light of you. God, we need that. So give us your spirit for Christ's sake. Amen. Please be seated. So I'm going to hit four main points and, uh, and I'm going to start with this. We have a real problem and this passage unpacks the problem, um, and there's a problem for us, and there's a problem for the original audience. So I kind of want to just touch on the original audience, and it's pretty complex. Um, and so who's the original audience of this passage? Well, those who were, uh, we don't even know who exactly wrote the book of Hebrews. Some say it was Paul, some say it was Paulus, some, some have no clue, I have no clue. Um, and we know it was written to, first century Israelites who in many ways had gotten really excited about following Jesus and then somehow Jesus had become old hat to them and so they wanted something um, that offered a little bit more uh, stability uh, they missed the shadows as it were so they wanted the shadows and 
so they were longing for the shadows and they were thinking about giving up Jesus even. And so it's to this audience that this writer says that that'd be crazy because Jesus is the better thing that the shadows were pointing to. They wanted Joshua, but in Jesus they get a lot better thing than Joshua. Um, and here we see that they wanted rest. They wanted a land of promise. But in Jesus, they get a lot better rest. They get a lot better land, as it were. And so this is the audience that, that he was speaking to. But he was also quoting Psalm 95, which was David's audience, right? And what was David doing? He was calling people of God to worship. Come and worship the Lord, for He is great and He's made you. And, and everything about Him and everything about you should compel you to worship Him. And by the way, if you ignore this worship, you don't enter into this worship, you do so at the very danger of your lives, of your souls, of your joy and everlasting joy. And even in Psalm 95, however, it's referring to another audience, Meribah in the wilderness. And what was going on there? Well, Moses was the, the mouthpiece of that message. And the people in the wilderness had just been led out of Egypt that had gotten experienced God like delivering them in power, seeing the 12, the, the 10 plagues, Seeing Pharaoh and his army slayed in the Red Sea as they were miraculously delivered. And yet, they weren't too far away from the shadows of that scene before they began to complain and murmur and be frustrated. And so, how can you see God work face to face, experience manna? quail, and then immediately you're moved to, to gripe. You and I wouldn't know anything about that, right? I mean, we don't live in a culture of griping. We live in a culture of celebrating. Just turn Twitter on. No, we, we live in a culture that's filled with griping. Except when you come to commercials. And what are commercials filled with? Promises. A year ago or more, we would watch these COVID vaccine commercials and they would tell you when the COVID vaccine comes, it's going to make all life better. And in some ways, it offered some real help and hope. But I don't think it made life that much better. The commercials come on now and it's like, what in the world? Why are they still showing these commercials? Retirement commercials come on and they remind you, if you're not saving it for retirement, then you may be harming yourself for your whole life after 65 or so. But if you save, you're going to be living in the posh life, vacation life forever. Vacation commercials come on and say, hey, I know your life is hard right now. You're working really hard. You're really overwhelmed. You're wanting some excitement. If you go to wherever, fill in the blank, Paris, fancy city, your, your troubles will be taken away forever. And you go and then you come back and you're still tired and you think, man, that was fun, but man, that didn't last. Or holiday car commercials come on. 
See any of those already? Someone gives someone a dog and then the, the other spouse gives them a Lexus and all of a sudden Christmas is made perfect. And don't you want that? You and I are tempted to look to all sorts of things to give us a sense of care, fulfillment, a sense of rest. In the Bible, the word rest is a little bit complicated because it's both a command and a hope. What's the command? What does it mean to rest? It means to cease, to pause, to Sabbath, as it were. That's what the word often is. And God's command is to be still and know that I'm God. To take a day a week and to rest and to realize you can, you're called to work hard for six days, but on one day you're called to rest and not work because you're just called to remember that I'm your ultimately your provider. And you're called to give back to me because at the end of the day, your stuff is not enough, but you're called to give everything to me. And that little gift that you give is but a reflection of, that, of everything being mine. And so rest, rest in me, trust in me. But rest is also a hope. And what's the hope? Rest is a hope for, for a sense of being cared for, being secure, such that you don't have to be on the treadmill to survive, or maybe looking for a better hamster wheel. Rest is getting cared for in such a way that you can cease striving and enjoy the current. But the truth is that you and I, we live in a culture that is restless. We live in one of the most restless cultures that's ever been, probably the most, for sure. On the one hand, our work knows fewer boundaries. We go home and we work because we have computers at home. But we, we live in an internet age where, like, literally, you never turn yourself off unless you're very, very intentional. They used to have the TV, and that kind of does it a little bit, but now you have the computer in your pocket that's always calling to your attention, always promising you new hope. Think about all the things that we look to for a sense of care, fulfillment, source of rest. It's different for all of us, but we all have these things. Maybe it's your circumstances or your money. Maybe if you thought, if I had just enough money or just a little bit better circumstances, my life would be complete. Would be I could like rest, I could take it easy. Or maybe if I had a little bit more fulfilling job, that would be the thing. Or maybe if I just had fewer problems, that would be the thing. You know, core to my job is as administrators to prevent problems and fix problems. Thus often I act as if if I'd fixed all the problems, then I can rest. And so the truth is for me, I work myself off into the bone. I work way too many hours. I'm a workaholic. Because I, I, I'm thinking, surely I can get to the bottom and fix all the problems. But there's an there's a, there's a inconsistency with that, right? In a school, there are lots of people. And so there are always problems. Every day, new problems. Fix all the problems from yesterday, tomorrow there's going to be new problems. It's, it's a lie. Some of us think that if we had whole bodies, maybe if we were strong or beautiful, that would fix our problems. That would give us a sense of rest. Or maybe if we had a winning team, whether it be politics or football 
or soccer, that would give us that sense of like fulfillment. In being sick, I got to watch a lot of World Cup this week. Saw the Koreans play an incredible match. They make it to the next round. They're not going to make it past that probably. But in the, in the stands, there were people crying, like weeping because their team won. Weeping. I'm like, what in the world? Like, why were they doing that? Because they were convinced that this is like what was going to bring them a sense of rest and fulfillment. That their country had won to make to the next round. For some of us, it's an idealized vacation or retirement. For some of us, it's if we had the idealized spouse or for our spouse to just get a few major issues fixed about, about them, then we could rest. For some of us, maybe it's if I had the idealized child, for a child to fix a few major issues about themselves or be successful, whatever that means, then I could rest. You see what I'm saying, right? We are filled with these hopes of rest, and they're all lies, all of them. I unpacked the lie that I tend to believe, but, but what's the lie you tend to believe? Well, we're all jacked up. That's, that's the start. Every one of us. And so that's the real problem. But here's the real need. What is the real need? Was that we experience real rest. And this is the hard part about this passage. And so I'm just going to unpack it. And, and here it is for what it's worth. Like I said, hop on, hop off. You can dig deeper. In this passage, it unpacks at least five levels of rest discussed here. And I'm just going to go through them. The first is it discusses the rest that Joshua offered. What was the rest that Joshua offered? Well, Joshua offered that rest that was promised by Moses, but he never got to enter in, right? The promised land. Why was the promised land a really important thing? Well, for a lot of reasons. They'd been slaves in the land of Egypt. They didn't have any land of their own. If you don't have land of your own, what does that mean? You're always dependent on someone else to provide for you. And so this Joshua offered them land. And it was a great land in some ways. It was a land flowing, as it were, with milk and honey. And yet, the truth is, is that it was a land full of fighting. And so to enter into the land meant that they were in the battle scene for a long while at least. As a matter of fact, for the whole history. And yet, here in this passage, it also tells us that you can be in the land, as many of them were, and yet you can miss the rest. The people who just experienced deliverance didn't get the rest, even though they were getting manna and quail. (coughs) So there's Joshua's rest. It was a, a real hope that they had. And it wasn't just a hope that they had. It was a hope that they continually, as the Old Testament people of God, returned back to. It was the hope that the people in Hebrews, that are the audience, were struggling about returning back to. If we just could go back to the land, if we could just get rid of the Romans, if we could just have these hopes, then then maybe we could have that sense of rest and restoration. 
And the writer of Hebrews is saying, if that's what you're chasing after, you're deeply missing it. The second um, rest that's discussed is Jesus. And there's so much here that that I'm not going to do it justice, but um, what kind of rest does Jesus offer? Well, Jesus, all the things that that the Old Testament people of God came to, to deliver in promises, Jesus came to deliver in realization. They were the shadows. He is the reality. But if all you've seen is the shadows, if all that, if you've, if you saw your, if all you saw was the shadow of your mom, but you never saw your mom, how would you know what she looks like? And that was the problem for the Hebrews, this audience. They knew about the shadows, but they didn't know about this Jesus. And so that's why the writer is writing to unpack this Jesus. And I want you to consider just the wonder of the rest that Jesus offers, especially in comparison to the Joshua offered. Jesus doesn't just offer a stamp of land. Jesus says he's going to give us the whole world. Jesus doesn't just say, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. He says, at my right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. He's not kidding when he says that. Jesus doesn't give us a land where we're just going to have to struggle and fight, but he says of the increase of my government of peace, there will be no end. Jesus says in this passage, when you get his rest, you won't lose it for real. And when you get it in the current, it points to an everlasting rest that's even greater. This is the rest that Jesus offers us. This is the rest that we really need. And yet, not only does it show a contrast between Joshua's rest and Jesus' rest, but it shows us a contrast between two other rests, a rest now and a rest eternal. What's the rest now? Well, that's at the core of the real problem of this passage. The writer is saying there's a rest now that if you experience it, um, it's going to give you current joy and peace so that you don't have to keep striving now for the next thing. So that all the promises that our culture offers, it's not that they're bad. It's just that they'll seem like shadows compared to the real thing that you have. You already have your mom. Why do you need the shadows? And the, the final rest and that's mentioned in this passage is the analogous to God's rest. And this is where it gets co- really complicated, but it's really important. So he says here, what's the deal about the rest now? And I apologize, my eyes are terrible. For the good news came to us just as it came to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were united united by faith with those who listened. For we who believed entered that rest. So what's he saying here? That in order for you to really experience rest, it's more than just hearing the good news. It's more than hearing the promises. It's more than experiencing the first fruits of them even. It's got to be combined with faith, a deep trust 
in the Lord. And it's related in somehow to the rest that he takes. Now, this is where it gets really weird and complicated, but it's really important. It says, as I swore in my wrath, you shall, they shall not enter my rest. And this is what he, what he says in verse 5, I mean in verse 3. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for somewhere he has spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested in the seventh day from all his works. Now, what in the world does it mean for God to rest? This is the real problem to figure out. What happens if God rests in the way that we usually think about rest, quits working? We all die immediately. God didn't rest in the sense of like, quit working. What does the rest mean? And just to be frank, I've struggled with that for years. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I did a dangerous thing after I'd done most of my preparation. I read a sermon by Tim Keller. And he nails it. And this is basically what he says. That when God rested from his works, here's what it means, that he was satisfied in them. That may seem overly simplistic to you, but that is genius. How does that affect us? How does this affect this passage? What he's saying is this, that true rest is not about stopping work, although at times it is. True rest is about satisfaction, contentment, delight. What does that have to do with all this? Here's what God's saying. The problem with the Israelites is that they got the gifts of God, but they couldn't delight in them. And so they were just left with content, with frustration, and it led to murmuring and wanting more. God was going to give them more. God was going to give them a lot more. That wasn't the problem. Is that they couldn't be satisfied. They couldn't rest. They couldn't enjoy what God gave. The rest that God experienced was that he was satisfied with his work. That's why he said, it's not just good, but it's very good. He rested. And so how, how does that affect us? We've been given unbelievable gifts in Jesus. And our whole work, as it were, the thing that we're to be striving for, found in verse 11, is to be entering into that rest. How can you strive for something to enter in the rest? That's almost nonsensical. The writer of Hebrews is intentional in using that language. Strive to be satisfied in the gifts of Jesus because they are greater than any other gifts you have. You and I only half believe that. That's one of the reasons we come to church every week. But that's one of the reasons why we struggle with this restlessness and wanting and buying into all the empty promises of our culture. And so here's the, the key to resting now, is to enter into God's rest, to, to be satisfied in Jesus. And, and so we're gonna ask, how do we get there? And, and I'll talk about that in just a little while. But if we get that rest now, here's what it leads to, an eternal rest. If you learn to enjoy God and be satisfied with God now, you're going to get to enjoy him forever and ever and ever. 
And the enjoyment we have now is, is like getting a little drop of an ocean that's coming. It's like getting a dot of Dr. Pepper for me or a dot of Blue Bell ice cream for me when there's a whole gallon, half gallon waiting on me later on. But if we don't learn to be satisfied with, with Jesus now, with the gifts that we have in him now, then we'll chase after all kinds of other things, leading to disobedience and unfaithfulness as the Israelites did, but in a way that will lead to, to really destruction for us and maybe missing out on the eternal rest. This is, this is his whole point, right? The Israelites who experienced all these things, they missed it. Psalm 95, the whole point is what? You're called into worship. If you experience the worship of God and don't enjoy Him, oh my goodness, you may miss out on eternal rest as well. What's His message to the Hebrews? If you, if you just experience about knowledge, knowing about Jesus and don't learn to enjoy Him, you're going to miss out on eternal rest, eternal enjoyment of Jesus. And what's His message to us? If today, meaning in the moment, while it's still time, while you're hearing God's word, if you're not going to respond to being satisfied with Jesus, then you're endangering yourself both now and forevermore. That's serious. We live in a culture where everybody thinks, hey, I mean, we're Presbyterians. We believe in perseverance of the saints. A lot of times it's translated into once saved, always saved, right? And so sometimes we assume, hey, just because I, because I got good with God when I was 10, 15, 20, 25, whatever, I don't really have to enjoy him now, right? To experience him forever. And the writer of Hebrews, God even would say, no, you do. If you miss it, you may miss out forever. And he doesn't want you to miss out, so he's calling you back in. So what if, what if you are struggling? What if, you, um, what if you're restless? You know, um, here's a diagnostic that, I, that someone presented to me years ago that I found to be really helpful. <clears throat> are you resting? Are you satisfied in Jesus? There are three things, maybe four, tests that you can give to yourself this week and maybe return back next week with an answer of how you've done. This week I want to challenge you to do no boasting in yourself. To never be bragging about yourself. Some of you may say, oh, that's easy. It's easy until you start getting critiqued. Secondly, do no complaining or critiquing. Complaining about your circumstances or critiquing others, their weaknesses. That's another sign that we're not resting. And then finally, no defending self. So no boasting, no complaining or critiquing, no defending self. The first time that someone, those are, come from Jack Miller, pastor, uh, sonship pastor years ago. First time I was presented with that about 20, 25 years ago. I really set out to do that. It lasted about three minutes. And as I started sitting on it, I started realizing 
my goodness, I am a lot more jacked up than I thought I was. I functionally rest a lot less in Jesus than I thought I did. But as you do that, there's some good news. And that good news is found in verses 11 through 13, chapter 4, where it says this, um, Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience that they had. And this is a very familiar passage, but it's connected. For the word of God is living and active, is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. If you've been in the church for very long, you may have memorized Hebrews 4.12. Word of God is living and active, sharper than two-edged sword. And we, we tend to boast about that, saying, man, that's an awesome verse. It's actually not. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible in the sense of it means we're going to be exposed as being naked. That's what the next verse means. The whole word of God, the whole test that I just gave you exposes us. You and I are seriously jacked up. We can't save anybody else. We can't even save ourselves. We can't even enjoy Jesus rightly. What are we going to do? It's a real problem. Do you see that? If you can't enjoy Jesus, you may miss out on everlasting rest. Here's the good news, and and this is just a a taste, as it were, to what's coming in future weeks. The next verse verse says this, Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, that is Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is good news for people who are screwed up like me. And if you can hear it like you. What's he saying? You and I are so screwed up that we can't save ourselves, but... Jesus showed up and he showed up to be a high priest who offers sacrifices. As a matter of fact, he offers one sacrifice himself so he might offer grace to those who are screwed up and in need. He's been tempted in every way, just as we have, but without sin. What does that mean? That he can help us and comfort us in our weakness. He knows what it is to be tempted but he can help us in a way that he can forgive us and make us whole in a way that we can't make ourselves whole. He's a substitute that if you get him, he'll make you whole. If you miss him, you're stuck with yourself, which is not good news. And yet for all who want to him, who hunger for him, who run to him, he lets them in. This is the same Jesus that in Matthew 11 said what? Come to me, all you who are Remember? Weary and heavy laden. 
and I will give you rest. How's he able to do that? He's able to do that because of who he is and what he's done for us. He lived the perfect life on our behalf. He died the death that we deserve to die on the cross on our behalf. And then he rose again and he intercedes for us always in order to declare before the Father there is a righteous one who died for them. Accept them on my behalf. And all our job is, all we have to do is learn to enjoy him and be satisfied with him. That's it. But if you miss out on that enjoyment and satisfaction part, you may miss out on the whole thing. Coming to Jesus is not just about asking for forgiveness of your sins, although that's where it starts. But if it never leads to satisfaction and some measure of real delight, do you really even know him? Have you really even experienced his forgiveness and reconciliation? Now, um, there's so much to be said with this, and I've probably gone over my time already. But Jesus is the better hope. They long for a king, and what do they get? They got Saul, terrible king. They got David, who seemed to be a better king until he slept with Bathsheba and then totally ruined his family. He was a terrible dad. In many ways, led to the downfall of the whole kingdom. Jesus is the better king. They long for a better land. Jesus himself says, I'm the, I'm the better temple. I'm the better land. And all the, the sh- things that the shadows of the Old Testament pointed to that were real hopes. I'm the concrete of this. I'm really not going to be able to unpack it completely. But all that to say, I do want to unpack two two ways that I I wrestled with how to apply this passage. Maybe it'll be helpful to you. So this week, um, I I don't know about you, but uh, life post-COVID has become more stressful for me. Okay? it's harder to find people to work. It's harder to find workers. Um, uh, it's harder to find people who take deep responsibility for things because uh, everybody's weary. So some people have left and for better jobs and such. And it's made my job a lot more hard. So this year I'm working really hard and I'm trying to keep up and barely keeping on top of things. And this week is a really important week for me to, to stay on top of things and to get to do a lot of things. Uh, and then Monday I come down with the flu. And I'm like, I feel terrible. This is the worst I've ever felt in my life. At least that's how it feels in the moment. And so I crash Tuesday. I crash, I think I'm going to get up and go to work Wednesday. No, I crash Wednesday. I think I'm going to get up Thursday and go to work. No, I crash Thursday. Uh, by Thursday night, I'm feeling a little bit better. And so Friday, about noon, I go into work. A whole week of work lost. For someone who is self-admittedly a workaholic, who's a problem fixer, like, I just got nothing but problems this week. All the problems I was supposed to fix didn't get fixed. And there were tons of problems that I didn't need that got added to that. 
And so I'm sitting here preaching this passage on rest. Kind of unfortunate, Howard. You're pretty exposed. And then I remember this crazy truth. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's where satisfaction really is found and comes. That Jesus delights in me. Jesus delights in me so much that he came to die for me. Howard, do you believe that? And I do. And so Jesus reminded me that, hey, you're going to have problems. And maybe I'll help you with those, maybe I won't. But what you really need, Howard, is not someone to fix all your problems. It's me that you need. To give you life in the midst of that. To remind you that even if you don't fix all the problems, I still delight in you. That was how it applied to me. And then something really serious happened to one of my friends. Um, I was on Facebook and saw that someone sent me a message. Hey, do you know one of our friends' kid got exposed for doing something bad? So I clicked on the link, and sure enough, the kid did something uh, high school kids often do, shared pictures, something like that. And so the mom of this kid goes on and starts defending the kid. And then the next day comes out, and the kid's not just done that. He's done a whole lot of things in a way that's indefensible. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not really deeply connected to this family anymore, but what can I offer this, this guy? And so I send him a text and say, and I'm praying for you and your family, and I really pray that you experience Jesus in the middle of all your troubles. Now, there is nothing that will likely fix this family's problems for years. Their, their kid's probably going to jail for years and years. And if your kid goes to jail, it ruins your life at a really profound level. Especially for such time, for such serious kind of public things. But Jesus is here saying, hey, I know it may seem unbelievable, but I have life to offer you that will give you a satisfaction, that will give you hope and joy amidst all the other crap and pain. It's not necessarily going to take all that away. It's not necessarily going to uh, jump your kid out of jail. You may have to ex- sit, still sit in that for a very, very long time. But I have some joy and satisfaction here in me that's beyond compare. Come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that there are things. Maybe it's you've been harboring anger for a long time. What's the source of that anger? I'm pretty sure it's not the kingdom of God and his glory. It's probably your kingdom and your frustrations and being hurt. And and Jesus is not necessarily going to take all that away from you. He's not saying going to reverse the situation, circumstances. But if you get him as he's offering himself to you, it's going to make all that cause you to forgive and move on. How do you know you're really getting this? Here's 
beautiful ways. It'll involve less proving of yourself, less boasting, criticism, defense. Secondly, it'll lead to more gratitude and joy. People go to Africa and minister to African Christians and they come back and they're like, I don't understand it. These people are more joyful than, than anybody here in the States. How in the world could it be? They live in abject poverty. How, how, how can they experience such joy? Seriously. What's the answer? They've learned to be satisfied, to rest, to enjoy Jesus in the midst of their abject poverty. Their circumstances aren't getting better. Not anytime soon. But they've experienced gratitude and joy. They, they've learned what it is to rest in Him now. It'll involve law of less hustle or less escape. Those are three things I struggle with. And finally, it'll lead to more prayer, dependent prayer, because you'll start realizing, hey, this one who created me, this one who lived for me, this one who died for me, he cares for me. I can cast my cares in him because he cares for me. I know these seem like really obvious things we should be doing, but we don't. That's the whole uh, point of the writer of Hebrews. That's the whole point of the writer of the Psalms. That was Moses' whole point to Meribah. The only way you're going to get there is by learning to rest and enjoy Jesus. And he's glorious. Let me pray. Almighty God, um, I just confess that uh, your word is um, an ocean of wonder. And at the heart of that wonder is your son, Jesus. And I confess before you that I am a weak instrument. And so I've done a, a poor job of unpacking the wonder of Jesus. But your spirit is powerful to unpack the wonder of Jesus. So God, I pray for each person here that you would give us a sense of wonder about your son so we will learn to delight in him and rest in him, to be satisfied in him in a way that would give us rest now and then will lead to everlasting joy and rest. Will you do that in a way that would move us beyond the cliches, beyond just going through the motions every week? to really enjoying you and living for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.